This is a conversation with Mara Mieser. Mara is a brand designer, mother, and singer-songwriter. She was also the co-founder of a boutique creative agency we ran together in Harlem for six years. We chat about experimental content, work ethic, and being both artists and entrepreneurs. Welcome to Solopreneur Playground Talks, where we explore the intersection of work and play. To get involved, visit solopreneurplayground.com. Let's hear from Mara. Would you be willing to in- indulge me in a super bad pitch? I have not heard anyone do this. So I'm really curious. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to think. Should I do it for right, music? For Should for- I do it no, for do it for do it for um, design? Do it for branding and design for small businesses. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a small business okay. owner, and I'm like Mara. I'd love to work with you, and you do not want to work with me, and you are trying to make me run for the hills. What do you say? Okay, <laughs> but you're still being honest, or you know, true. <laughs> okay, honest but repelling. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Here I go. Um, I work with small businesses, um, and I do websites and um, websites logos. I know they're very exciting words, but I actually feel like it's um, it's. It's usually a very confusing process. Like it takes a lot of, you have to ask a ton of questions and you have to do a lot of digging and that often feels very uncomfortable and it takes way more time than you think it is. It's, it like brings up stuff. And I actually think a lot of people want to give up halfway in doing a good, like in doing my kind of process and actually would just rather like go on Fiverr or 99designs and not have interaction with a person who asks too many questions. I ask a lot of questions and I like to be in touch with our feelings. Um, And I'm pretty direct about what I think works and doesn't work and what's a waste of time. Um, But you do end up with like a website and a logo, Um, but it might not be what gets you the most business or like the most money it 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 might be depending on your values we could be prioritizing something else and so yeah I don't know that you want to work with me <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll be in t- I'll circle back, I'll circle back. <laughs> perfect here's my email <laughs> having like a support it is relevant even to like solopreneurship and stuff like having a team that's taking care of anything for you Right. It's going to feel different. Yes. I, think that's- I think so. I mean, it doesn't answer the question, what videos? And what so the- I had a conversation <laughs> with him and, you know, he has like really, I think, helpful prompts, but it's still not satisfying to me just to think about how to make a bunch of videos that people will watch. Like that mm. starting place is not inspiring to me. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I think we've identified which I really like for this year to be about like finding my voice, finding my rhythm and finding my people. Um, hmm. I mean, they're huge, but it means a very specific thing. And like we've talked about this idea of building in public. Anyway, very helpful, blah, blah, blah. Um, and finally today I was like, you know what? The problem is I don't like short form content. I myself don't consume it. So I'm not interested to create it. Like it's not fun for me. It makes yeah. me feel fractured and it's not how my brain works. I don't even like watching short videos. I don't mm-hmm. watch videos on Instagram. I don't, yeah. I don't like TikTok because I don't like it. So it, I think that's why it's such a disconnect for me to try to make it. But then I was like, oh, I've 
wanted to do a podcast for years and years. And I've done episodes, recorded them on and off, but I never can go all the way. But today I feel like I came up with an idea and I'm going to try. Anyway, Bianca, I'm done answering your question. <laughs> no, that's like the perfect, I'm not even getting into it and you're already answering like questions in advance. I love it. <laughs> what is the idea that inspired you to go from, okay, I don't even want to do content things to like, oh, this is the long form podcast type thing that I, what is it? I'm so curious. Yeah. So the unlock this morning was like, I need to stop trying to solve for short form. I need to do long form, which is yeah. like blog, podcast, or like a vlog maybe. And I was like, podcast is what I've, and one thing I keep trying to ask myself is what do I want to, what do I want to do? What do I want to make? So then I don't get frustrated anyway. So you know, I'm obs- I've been obsessed with the Bible Project for a long time now. Um, it's changing my the way I understand the Bible, and like I'm writing more and more in response to the Bible, and I've just become more. And Kurt Thompson, who is another person that's been a huge mm. source of inspiration for me, he talks so much about trying to incorporate your left brain and w- right brain in the world, which mm. in how you process things and how you experience things, and I am also in I such agreement that. with that. So then I feel like, oh, I think what I'm about is trying to help people experience the Bible with their right brain. I think that's what my art is becoming. Like the last four songs I wrote, it's really about, it's all about coming at these verses from my right brain of like the experiences I have in motherhood and all of that stuff. That's like those songs, those four songs are extremely biblical. They are as biblical as in taken from the Bible. (laughs) Like it's all... Like it's, there's one of them literally is quoting paraphrased and re-imagined verses. But um, so the idea, the form is basically I read, I'm going to start from Genesis 1-1. I'm going to read as many verses as is enough to inspire me to write a song. So I'm going to read to the first one. And I've written a bunch of these songs already. So it'll be read Genesis verse 1 to 3. And I'm going to say a prayer, and then I'm going to talk about what I see in the, what jumps out at me in the verses, and I'm going to sing a song in like a stripped down way. And the, I think how I hope it's used, which is another thing I myself keep searching for, is some five to 10 minute thing in the morning to start my day like creatively, um, like biblically, because I, the Bible, I feel like, thanks to the Bible project has become so inspiring to me again, but I don't like most devotionals, but I'm dying for devotionals, which is to me, just this idea of every day, like what's forming you. And so, yeah, I'm answering your question, I think multiple times over, but that's the idea like that's the kind of the so basically the Bible and then an immediate right brain, which is like communicating with, I think one of the core authors of it. I think it's also <laughs> the humans, but God. And then just what I notice, and then the song that comes from it. And I'm gonna try really hard to not be intense about the song. Like some of it mm, is not. I don't think I'm ever gonna record them and release them, but it's just gonna be a response. Yeah. Um, so it's basically a devotional. What a beautiful con- continuation of what I've seen you do. I mean, even since college, like I know you've worked on devotionals, even as a graphic yeah. designer and then yes. as a writer. And then to have, and then this last year with the, or the last two years, I guess, with the, um, 
oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the the platform that you pay, Patreon, Patreon. Uh, you've yes. been sharing your you've been sharing your process basically in public yeah. or with like fans. And so now doing that in this format, it's like bringing it back to the Bible where it's like you're modeling being inspired by the Bible and using your whole brain to respond to it. It's like modeling whole brain worship <laughs> in real, you know what I mean? I think that's cool. Yeah, I think what I always am trying to is like just doing musician-y things is not enough for me. And like, yeah. but doing a Christian thing also is not right for me. Like mm-hmm. it, and, and I've always keep trying to like find projects that blends things and and I have found them and I love them and this is I feel like (laughs) the one I want to try for this year which takes down the pressure of another batch of songs that I then like produce and like spend all this time alone on and then put out anyway that's really interesting (laughs) I I really it's it's fascinating because even just preparing for for this and thinking about how do I want to ask questions about yeah, you saw in the in the prompts when I shared like what the questions would be, and then I changed them. <laughs> I love like, the new I, ones. You like the new ones, yeah. Yes, I keep thinking of the word work because I think with solopreneurs, like you're an artist who's also doing design. You know, like it's like what kinds? Everyone's doing multiple kinds of work. Even like parenting is work. You know, mm-hmm. so I feel like a lot for me of like solopreneurship is about owning your work and naming it and kind of tracing who's benefiting here. What am I getting from it? Like kind of owning that whole process. So I think it's cool to hear you talk about um, your process for figuring out what kind of, I hate the word content, but I'm just going to embrace it. What kind of content am yeah. I going to make? Because it's like producing a song is one process and it, yes. it's unenjoyable in these specific ways, but I want to do something like it for these specific reasons. And so how do yeah. I make something? It's it's like you're innovating in the form between song and yes. And, podcast or whatever like you're you know innovating in that space and it's like it's a different set of questions I think when you're like what do I want to do and then you put it out and you're like I will figure out how to make this valuable to other people and maybe how to monetize Mm -hmm. it make it more valuable to myself in this way but like starting with the inspiration of what do I wish for in the world and what do I want to contribute like what space do I want to play in like I just hear you doing that work and I think it's fascinating to hear this new having seen I guess like the last 12 years like this new iteration of you processing that and like coming up with that I think that's really it's exciting I'm so what a cool timing that this morning you had that like wait wait a second no. <laughs> and then awesome. I started I was like oh Bianca's using Zencaster so there's this other one that's been recommending <laughs> yeah. uh recommended to me I don't know if you looked at Riverside so I was just comparing them it, it's just funny um it's very funny I hate comparing tools so I will um my collaborator on the playground for the last year mm-hmm. who's been very patiently working through what are we doing here? <laughs> like, what is this? Sure. <laughs> he loves comparing tools and he's a co- like a developer and like understand. So he gets in. So he was the one who recommended Zencaster and gave me a rundown of all the other yeah. ones. And it's funny because I'm just like, which one is it? Cool. I don't get just tell me which one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not in the sense of I'm impatient, but just like, I'm so glad someone else yeah. is doing this work because yes. I really don't, the process of reading through reviews. No. Yeah. I've gotten into <laughs> it, I think, from the process of. Build my, building my home studio, needing to get a mic, uh, yeah. audio interface, studio monitors. There's a thousand. I think what I've come up, the way I navigate that is I have to find the three features that matter to me and only look at that versus looking Ooh. at who's offering what and evaluating the whole list. Like it has to be like for me, ease of use is actually higher often than quality. 
um, which is Same. really helpful to know because most <laughs> people think about quality in terms of sound, especially for musicians. But I'm like, oh, not to me. <laughs> <laughs> And then for this, because I need to, I want to, I I do want to play around with social media and I do think it's a short form world. So I was looking at the feature. There are these ones that AI generates these 30 second clips that you can then use. So that was the feature I'm looking for. Um, Would you count that under ease of use or is that like a separate? No, that's another one. Yeah. Uh, That was like a specific thing I want to. Yeah. 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 And And it could be one. Yeah. Could be, but like right. one, one to, to three, three, not more than three. three. I feel like, yeah, yeah. I feel like some people could handle five. It just increases the complexity yes. a lot. But I feel like, yeah. I think the more engineery you are, the more of these data points like you can hold. I can't hold yes. that much. <laughs> I I'm the same. Yep, I'm the same. <laughs> yeah, yes. I think it is. There's something about that. That's so interesting. You know what that actually makes me think of with um with like the the lean process the way I the way I've learned it it's mm-hmm. the process in terms of trying to figure out what someone wants getting to those one to three things and I also think of like KPIs in business like one to three there's something about like one to three like if you can manage finding the one to three things that are most important and name them you know accurately mm-hmm. like there's some kind of prioritization yes. magic that happens in yes your like all right we can do this like I have clarity yeah <laughs> yeah and I often think like kudos to the one who keeps landing on just one it's it's so hard for me yeah but I think it's it's great when you you think you (laughs) is one ever really I don't know I have a hard time as I've been trying to actually do that more regularly I I find it hard I've 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 only ever been able to do two at minimum where there's like an interplay between two things you know otherwise it just doesn't feel like I'm getting the whole picture but yeah. But at the same time, I think for taking taking a step, like what's the next step? Sometimes that's helpful to simplify yeah. to like what's the most important. I'm just gonna take the step. But if you're trying to build a bigger process or system, I find it's really hard to focus on just the one. I mean, one doesn't tell I totally a story, agree. you know? <laughs> yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. It's sometimes in the interplay that you are. Yeah. Like a new thing emerges. I think it also it depends what exactly you're talking. Like if it's it does, adjectives, if it's a product, if it's yeah, like I think yeah, if you yeah. can just do one product, yay. Yes. Is, oh no, part of that what is... I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, as far as like communicating to other people, yeah, like less is more like when it yeah. comes to like building a business yes. or a marketing thing. Yeah, for sure. Then yeah. less is more for sure. Um Oh, that's so interesting. Man, that makes my brain go so many places. <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like I, I want to talk to you for so long because one of the things I want to do with this site, well, okay, just a few other things. And then Bianca, Tell stop me. me if it's time to just switch nope. gears. I am I'm ready to go. Like I think another thing I keep playing with is this, you know, uh, entrepreneur versus artist. And I yes. and I think the line is blurred. It's so blurred. It's so blurred. Yeah. And I think it's Especially silly. In content world. Mm-hmm. Like the, I don't know if you saw the clip I sent you of Rick Rubin, who is a music producer who's done a lot of um, but he went like a, a strict artist, pure like purist. Uh he he I don't know if you saw it, but it's like a 30s to one minute thing. Just- he just he talks about, you know, you can't think about you can't be creating for other people. And like it's I I there's I I I really agree with him for one part of it, for one part of my process where I'm like there's this there's this artist part of me that's like yes like that is unlocking something for me because I keep 
in when I'm writing songs, I'm having that thought. And I don't think that thought is helpful when I'm writing a song. But then when I'm thinking about like, okay, where do I want to be as a musician in one year? I need to think as an entrepreneur. And then I don't think it's helpful when you reject thinking about your audience and like all of that. I, I think that's, to me, foolishness. If you get purist when you are being entrepreneurial, like I, I think where I'm at right now is I do not have the privilege right now of being a pure artist. I think sometimes when you've been going for really long and you've carved, like I think Rick Rubin can afford to be, and I think he has a privilege that he has. I don't mean privilege in a bad way. I think it's a great thing. Uh, and it's so, like, yeah, like great. Enjoy your privilege. Good for you. And a lot of people, as well, some people work for their privilege. Um, but I mean it in the as baggageless way as possible. Like <laughs> if you have the privilege of being a pure artist, like, yes, like build that world where you can be purist and like create this like, ooh, thing for yourself. Great. Stay in it. I think if you enjoy it and that helps your creative process, go for it. I I'm not there where I can do that. And if I do that, I can foresee in one to five years, I'm not going to be where I want to be. So I need to be entrepreneurial along with being an artist to, it's like that my entrepreneur has to take the hand of my artist to lead it forward because my artist is, is, is wanting, is more like, huh, like looking around and it needs some, like a really gentle person, like, now we're going to go here. And the artist is going to be like, <laughs> okay, cool. Um, and so I think that's how I'm visualizing it. And it's helping me talking to you now of then, then I, I think those two parts need to hear, like the artist part of me really likes what Rick Rubin said. The entrepreneurial side finds it unhelpful. But like this part is like, yes, <laughs> like I want to, and, and I think I can, I can, I can collect different wisdoms for them because they need different things, those two parts. And I think the entrepreneurial part, it's so funny when you just said, I'm going to embrace the word content. I think the entrepreneurial side of me this morning just went, I need to embrace content creator as a thing. Like it can feel icky as a musician to be like, that, like the word content creator, but I'm like, no, I think I'm actually the way I want to do this is more the content creator route than the musician route. Mm, um, yeah, but I do think my artist identifies as a musician and not a content creator. But I think my content creator is looking at my artist and be like, we're gonna treat you like a content creator, and I'm totally okay <laughs> with that. You do like, what oh, you need whatever. to do. As long as I'm free. What I don't as care. Long as I can do what I want to do in my space. Yeah, that's how my own artist is like carve me a space and leave me there. I don't care what you people do. Like, it's just like. <laughs> call me. Yeah. I mean, I have some, like, what do you call it? Like, back. I have some, yeah, boundaries, some things I won't do. <laughs> sure. uh, like, obsessed with reels. Or, like, churn out reels. I'm not going to do that. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is hitting me even as a parent because I think so much of how I frame parenting is channeling the exist like channeling what exists or directing what exists like you're this kid has just a bunch of energy and a bunch of traits and a bunch of things he wants to do and a bunch of and it's like how like literally so much of parenting is taking that energy and moving it around in yes. a way that's like they're getting what they want and like they're set up for the future as well and you're also not 
you know, being harmed or, or bored or whatever the process. Like, like everyone, like, I feel like it, it's so much directing energy and drawing. So I, I feel something like that with also my inner artists. And I also use the parts, I, I, I feel like, yeah. yeah. Hearing you use yes. parts language, I'm like, oh, my heart. <laughs> but I have a similar thing with like my inner, where it, it does feel like a, it's like a, like a child who like, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's beautiful and you don't want to crush that, but it's no. like, yeah, you need other it's in it's in a dynamic with other parts that do need to get certain things done or need to yes. you know yeah make sure you survive essentially but that artist you can't put that on the artist you can't put that on an inner no. child like you need to act a certain way or we're gonna die like you can't do that that crushes the person's yeah. spirit yeah. makes them grow up you know right or whatever in a way that's not not totally good. my yeah. I feel like my artist is so much younger than my entrepreneur yeah my, mine part. too. Mine yeah, too. it's it's a will baby. Yeah, it's <laughs> scared yeah. very often. But I wonder if a lot of artists are kind of people. Yeah. I I think a lot of artists that embrace the um, embrace it all the way and aren't as entrepreneurial. I'm guessing that they are just sort of a, a lot in touch with their inner child and kind of living from them yes. first, which is awesome. I, I'm also trying to figure out like how do people do that and like you know, it's so interesting what you're saying because. I think of Jacob Collier, like yes. I think of him as really protecting his child likeness, but I also think he's a lot more mature than me as an artist. There are mm. things he says and the things about his creative process and a kind of self-knowledge that I really admire. Like, um, mm. but so it's interesting because I actually would put him as in one sense, like, much more mature and much more ahead of me. But also in, in some ways it's like a part of that is that I think he maintains this childlikeness better than I can right now. So it's mm, a kind of yeah. interesting, like what you're yeah. saying that, that artists that I think often feel most aspirational are the ones who play best. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that actually is for in, in, in the artist part world, like a sign of maturity is like childlikeness, yeah. which is yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I have, it's, it's so true. The, like the, how that's interpreted and what it's like, that's almost, yeah, that's like a sign of a good, like, oh, you did something good and important and you're still, you know, like that's a good versus like, I think the business world or is it, it's you're, you have shiny object syndrome. You're, you have ADHD. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're yep. distracted. You're not being responsible. You have to focus. Like you know, pick a niche. Like yep. <laughs> be an adult. Right. Be an adult. Be an yep. adult. I think that's one thing I want to play with with these conversations. Is like how I'm very passionate about. Okay, passionate and anxious about bringing my <laughs> inner child. Whether I th- and I mm-hmm. don't know, artist not artist, but like bringing those parts together. I think being holistic. I'm. I live better and work better on so many levels when I feel playful about things. And I notice there's such a, like, like feel, you can feel playful about the same event or experience, right? And like, and it's, it's so it's, it's like, I want to bring playfulness to more of my life. And it's like in business, like it's yeah. so hard. It's, I'm just trying to figure out like, why is it so hard? Like, so in, in arts, I, yeah, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a value or like it's clear that there's a right. connection between your success and your playfulness. It's absolutely yeah. like essential sort of, you know, <laughs> creativity and play, I feel like are linked very well in people's minds. Yeah. But with business, it's something different. I feel like that really, I know you're just talking about the artist entrepreneur relationship. It's yeah. a really fraught one, I think. Yes, yeah. I think yeah. so. It's interesting. It makes me think, I think part of 
because of those voices, because of that pressure. And so often I'm like, I don't even know whose voice this is. Sometimes <laughs> that's a loud voice that I truly don't know where it comes from. Um, like playfulness is a discipline, I think, often. Like you have to, it's it's like you have to fiercely protect it. I think that's where I feel I find someone like Jacob, like so much more mature because the way when I look at him, I see a man who fiercely protects his, like just the way he dresses, the way he talks, the way he puts that, like things that come, I'm like, it it feels like the fountain. It's, 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 it's well built, well protected. And that to me is the sign of the, that, 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 yeah, that maturity. And it's, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. It makes me think, well, like wonder about, um, like when I think about Rick Rubin, um, sorry, the all music people, because I feel like that's, those are the people I look into more and listen to more conversations from. Um, I don't know that he, when he talks, he doesn't give me the sense that he wears the entrepreneurial hat ever. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't need to, to your point about privilege. He doesn't. Yeah. Exactly. I can't tell about Jacob how, if, if he does, I can't, I don't know. I'd be so curious if you, one day you have a conversation with him to like explore. <laughs> oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, oh, I feel like he would be about. a great person to talk <sighs> solopreneur playground with. Um, for sure. For sure. You're actually making me think of this, um, I think I mentioned to you, there's a woman that wrote a book, a comedian who wrote a book called How to Be Alone. But I, I'm thinking of like, oh man, she'd be a great guest too. Cause she's yeah, actively putting, like she's the solopreneur, right? Like there's, most artists are solopreneurs and they have to wear that hat. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know what Rick Rubin reminds me of just from, um, cause Jacob Collier, I believe he had like a viral video because I remember seeing some clip of him being like I had no idea when I put this video up of me singing all the different parts five years ago whatever that would be such a big thing and it changed his whole career and his whole trajectory. He like got it- discovered by Quincy Jones who took him Quincy into Jones. a Quincy Jones program so he was one of got Quincy it. Jones not scholar but like like a mentee protege maybe yeah I think mentee maybe mm-hmm. is a mentee, mm-hmm. right and then that I think changed his life being a part of that so I feel like he owes a lot oh, to Quincy he I think he talks about owing a lot to Quincy Jones was there it's, a video it's one that, that he was harmonizing yeah like, and he, different... Quincy Jones found him through that video yes. is that that yeah. yes yeah, yeah I think so yeah yeah I think that's interesting because I I think the, what it makes me think of the Rick Rubin story is like and I, I see this with with clients too where if you're because I started out, I left college and I was like, what am I going to do? And it's always like, I, I didn't enter at any point a world in which I had a clear skill that I was being validated for mm-hmm. in, the, in the outside of school, right, or college. Um, but I find that people that do, so like, like you, you hone a very specific skill that like is performable. Like you put, like mm-hmm. you make a video and you're like, here, I can harmonize. Right? Or like, or like yep. you're in a, in a workplace and you're like, you fundraise really well, you know? And you, yep. you're like, you, for a nonprofit, you like are excel at fundraising 10 years, you build a career on like fundraising. And it's a very specific skill that has like really clear outcomes that you can measure. Those people, I feel like, like when you have a demonstrated skill that you're getting validation from a large group of people, particularly in like mm-hmm. a whole field or whatever from, 
you you don't need to think as much about entrepreneurial yep. stuff because you have yep. it's it's like starting out with uh like like a trust fund or or like a like your parents give you a bunch of money to like start a business i think it's something equivalent where it's like if you start with like i don't know what my skills are i don't know what i'm like you're learning everything from scratch and you don't have a community of people or like our whole industry you don't have a reputation that's already built like a lot of people take their reputation and then turn it into into money basically right? like yep. by being known in other ways for this thing that they're already known yep. for you know it's so much easier to do that than to like start out not being known for anything and have to like build from essentially scratch but I think of it like that um I don't know it's it's reputation I guess like you, you build a reputation in one thing among certain people it's easier to pivot that or to monetize it or to whatever expand on it than it is to like build a reputation from scratch like here you are like, mm -hmm. you know um without clear skills because I think of like yes. my skills being like oh I can like do literary criticism like I have challenges publishing anything <laughs> so it's not like I'm publishing I don't have a bunch of like a published work or like I can do poetry and it's like I don't even have poetry in magazines like, there's nothing in the world yep. outside that shows that I can do these things yep. so the skills that I have so I think about that like yeah anyway so I, I think that's why programs like I mentioned what, what Jacob Collier experienced with Quincy Jones like you're literally being drawn into a high yes, trust an ecosystem. You know, yep. high, an ecosystem. Yeah. And you're already skilled. You qualified to get yep. in there and now you're already skilled to do it and kind of builds on itself. Um, but yeah, I think this is fascinating to think about in terms of music. It's very, very cool. I, I like all these examples. Do you want to talk a little bit? Cause I'm mindful of when we are published that people might not know that you are not just <laughs> yes. a singer songwriter content creator. <laughs> Formal conversation if needed. Not at all. Not at all. I actually feel like, yeah, the goal is to enjoy it and like talk about things that matter to us in our life for us now. So you're already doing that. What <laughs> we don't need to shift it. But I do want to, I'm curious, entrepreneur, artist parts of you, where does the designer fit in? Is that the entrepreneur? Is that like, how, how does your design work fit that ecosystem inside yeah. yourself? You know, it's so funny. I'm not going to answer your question properly, <laughs> um, but Good. yesterday was a roller coaster for me because I've been having a lot of thoughts for the first time in the past 48 hours. Um, this is great timing. Yesterday. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like I subconsciously was like, I better have something interesting to say to Bianca. Let's have thoughts. <laughs> um I had the thought yesterday that I might want to really stop doing design for a while or oh. at least um, outside of – I have one client who I've worked with for a really long time, Cynthia, who you know, Bianca. Um, I love her. Uh, she, we, we have an ongoing relationship. I'm almost a part of the organization at this point. So – but outside of that one, for the first time, I was like, what if I really stop? Because I've thought about doing less design for a while. Um, and I guess for those who don't know, you know, design is something that came out of my burnout from music. I was, I graduated um, from NYU with an acting degree and all this stuff happened acting, music, blah, blah, blah. And I was going for it really hard. And then I hit this huge wall. And then design came out of that, of I do not want to be around people 
but I love people. How do I work with people without being around people a lot? Um, and, um, and also I feel like I've, I've, I've been going into the well of like what I want to say, what I want to be, what I want to sound like, what I want to look like. I do have this desire to now obsess about other people's stories the way I have done for myself. And I'm very tired of it right now. Um, I don't feel like there's anything more. I just feel dry. And then design, I think, came out of a lot of those things of, and, you know, it was a skill I picked up as I was making music. And, you know, you were there right at this point, Bianca. I feel like we had so many conversations. Exactly what you were saying just now of, you, I feel like I, I relate to what you were saying about kind of having to figure out what do you have to offer and the people will pay for and a lot of, you know, those questions um, that led me to design. And I always talk about how for me, the joy of music is like a 10, but the pain and confusion and difficulty of making music is at a nine. And I would say the joy of design and working with small businesses, branding, which is what I've now done for 10 years. I don't know. What is time? Uh, 2015, so I think like eight years now. Hmm. Yeah. And then I think before that, I did some random hmm. projects. Oh, for, yes, yes. Like, yes. Yeah. But, but not – it wasn't my main thing. It was, mm-hmm. it was very much just – yeah. Um, I'm losing my thought. How design oh, came out of it. Yeah. Yeah, it came and, – and the joy of design, I feel like, is uh, – six, but the pain and difficulty and struggle is like a one, maybe even a 0.5 at maybe at the early stages, it was like a three, a lot of learning growing pains, but now it's, it's barely registering on the scale. There's not really any struggles except when I, because I think of this Delta, when I'm doing design, I'm always like, oh, I miss experiencing a 10, which is what I experience when I make and share music. Um, like I did a listening party in December of these new songs I wrote and I felt a 10 sitting in that room playing music I made for people, um, with people. I made it for myself too. Um, and, and, and yesterday I had the thought that I keep wanting to experience that 10. I keep wanting to experience that 10 because who wouldn't want to experience the 10 if there is a 10 that can be experienced? And I'm like, I will not experience it as often if I keep being like prioritizing the six. But it's so funny. And I had this thought of like, what if I really made this year about cultivating that life of more tens? But it's, it is work because I, I have to find a way to manage that nine and bring it down and work with it. And that takes a lot of work too. Mm. It's double um, the work. You got to do the yeah, work and then and, do the work about the work. <laughs> and it's just a one. It, it, in some ways, when you do the math, you're only getting a one because of 10 <laughs> minus versus a six minus zero. Um, but you can't compare what a 10 feels like with what a six feels like. Maybe five. <laughs> I don't know. Um, anyway, Good I was thinking about that. Um, and then 
And it felt, I was like, I really want to. I really want to. It felt kind of scary. And then I had a client meeting um, a couple hours later. That was when I was dropping off, uh, driving back from dropping Philip off um, uh, at school. And then I had a client meeting and Bianca, it felt so good. It was what you talked about earlier. I feel like at this point, 10 years in, I work with small, certain small businesses really, really well. I feel so valuable when I work with like my ideal client. I can tell what I'm saying. I'm helping them even understand their problem in a new way and helping them walk towards a solution. And I see the relief. I see the appreciation. And I would say that's 90 to 100% of my projects these days because I think there wow. was a lot of trial and error at the beginning. And I also work with a very small number of clients now and a lot more repeat. So it's people who already know and trust me. I um, But then I was like, oh, it's so hard to let this go because it's really nice to feel so validated. Like I almost feel like there is a system for it. It's it's. I don't feel so alone in design. It's like a and and branding and working with small businesses. There is I feel like a bit more of an ecosystem. The more I play by the rules here, and I'm not someone who I I, I feel like I, I walk the line a little bit. I like playing by the rules. I actually do, but I also can't just play. Then I get like claustrophobic. If I just go by, this is how you grow a small business branding agency. Mm, if I just I was follow ask that, what rules, which rules you were talking about. Yeah. What, what are playing, what does playing by the rules look like? I, I think I'm fascinated by thinking about business as a game. I think it really is. Oh so yeah. Like, yeah. Like what is, the you game? know, always having leverage of, you know, and, and being obsessed with credibility, presenting your past work in a certain way, toting certain accomplishments. Like there's, I know there's a way I can talk about myself that's going to impress somebody more than another way of talking about myself. And <laughs> I think where I like go between is sometimes I will do that because I want to impress certain people if I want them to hire me or be a speaker, you know, certain things. And sometimes I don't want to because I'm like, no, no, no. If you won't respect me for intrinsic value, like, don't. <laughs> I'm not going to play your game and give you reasons to think I'm worth speaking to. Um, but I do think sometimes practically. So, I, and I think it's in those moments how I talk about myself where I become a little bit more conscious of like, do I want to play by the rules? Hmm. How it's, it's actually often in how I talk about myself. Yeah, um, that's interesting. It sounds like, yeah, like personal credibility or, or- kind of personal brand sales like how yeah which I totally I totally get so when you're thinking of the rules it's not like money management or how you deliver a service you're thinking specifically of like getting clients and like talking in that phase before they trust you really well like that's where I it it comes I I, I feel that tension the most where the rules I, I bother you yeah where I feel like I have a choice mm, and I make choices every now and then and I'm okay yeah. with that I make different choices. Yeah, um, yeah. You play I don't with feel like I'm a sellout if I but I also sometimes go, no. Yeah. <laughs> I will intentionally be uninteresting <laughs> um, <laughs> as a business owner. They're both forms um, of, of like get, like having power in the situation, I think, you know? It's like yes. am I gonna I'm free to choose. That's its own kind of power. And then like, do I wanna 
play that person? Do I want to play that game right now or not? Then, yes. Yeah, that's interesting. That's cool. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I think another obvious way where I really don't play by the rules is I'm not optimizing for profit. Mm. Um, I feel like so much of the best practices, how to grow, how to get your clients, how to get to six figures, how to get to seven figures, how to make your first million, so much of the it's, – it's about – making money. Um, and then to do that, you know, this is how you need to package your products and this is how you, you know, re- retainers are great and this is great and this is way to package. And no, that's not true. There is a way in which I do play by the rules where I, I've gotten better at charging um, people more and all of that stuff. But so I leave, I, I think I leave a lot, a lot, a lot of money on the table. Relative mm. to what I take, which is not that much, but because it's not that much, <laughs> <laughs> relatively, it's a lot, and I and I and I'm uh, and I'm okay with that. Hmm. I, I prefer what I'm choosing. What do you? What is the money. choice that you're doing over? Because you mentioned profit and now money, like so, kind of revenue and profit both. What is there something you're optimizing for, or is it more like the two to three <laughs> things that you were talking about? We were talking about earlier. Peace <clears> of <throat> mind for me is what I optimize for the most. And I think if you're just strictly going at growing a business, I'm not sure peace of mind is something that should be, you know, top of top value. Like, I don't know that a large corporation ever wants to, it, that's hyper growth focus. And sometimes do their detriment. I'm not sure that they would, they most prioritize in finding a CEO who's like really, really about having peace of mind, like mm. where values and ethics is of absolute utmost important. And what is the meaning behind everything? Like an introspective, I'm not sure an organization would look for that as like, you know, I think they can look for experience. What have they scaled? How, how have they grown much more than that? But I think that's yeah. what I... That makes me um, think of the book "Good to Great." Uh, yeah, we talked about because I yeah we read it when I was freelancing back in the day, but it really struck me that the CEOs because they profiled all these CEOs of like publicly traded companies over that were like very profitable over ten years or something like that. It was some very wide study, right? But um, but like consistently, all the CEOs of the companies that did perform the best were like family oriented, a lot of integrity, very quiet, humble people that had, you know, the team of rivals in their, in their top slots and like really solid people with lots of integrity and the folks that actually they Hmm. did okay. Like they obviously, you know, they were profitable while Mm -hmm. they were in, in office. They were like executives. Um, The companies did okay, not as well as the other guys. And then when they left, the companies would do worse. Like there was this link between. So point being, it's it's interesting, but they were very public. Like the the folks that were basically more narcissistic, more out there, they were very public. And so it's that whole, I forgot what the Hmm. name of the cognitive bias is, where you see them around a lot. Like, wow, this person, they're profiled in this magazine and this and this, and they're writing this thing and they're on this video and this TV show. But it's like, they were actually a minority and their businesses were not performing as well as these other quiet, humble people. It gave me a lot. I, I remember reading that being like, Whoa, yeah, it's my assumption. I, and I think that's like, I wonder if it's something to do with American culture where there's this like confirmation bias of charming, extroverted, 
overly confident people yes. perform well. And it's like, when you actually look at the numbers, they don't though. Like it's actually not yeah. true. <laughs> like there's this lie, you know, that that's true. Anyway, so point being, not that, not that it's not true that people look for people like that, but I think it's part of like this bigger myth of extroversion and charisma that is very like American self-helpy, you know, <laughs> kind of culture that is not validated by actual data. Um, so that's a really good point. It- one thing I I wonder about often, I think because my husband just went back to work as a CEO, as a CEO of a company, yes, of, a, of, of a yeah of a company, and um, we're having so many conversations because he has experienced a huge shift um, because he took a big step back in COVID, spent time with kids, prioritized family, and now he's going back and trying to reconcile his new moved up priorities and values um, with the expectations of the board, with the expectation um, to perform and trying to figure out what's mutually exclusive and what's not Mm. and how he can continue to be present while um, growing this company and one thing we talk about is the I feel like very often the people who speak with the kind of wisdom that I admire, um, which is what I think the, the great profile in to, mm. to use the model of the book, often have gone through a period of extreme striving. And Mm. kind of like balls to the walls kind of working and then (laughs) learn from it and then step back and shift that that's often a part of it and a necessary Mm. part of it. That somebody Mm. who's relaxed from the beginning, I'm not sure gets too great. And which I don't know. I really don't know. I genuinely, Mm. but so often the profiles I I've come across and so this is anecdotal. Um, It's, it's not that, yeah, me, very limited perspective and anecdotal. Um, a feeling, yeah, that, yeah, that, that I, I wonder if a lot of, yeah, that, that profile just has a period of workaholism or, or what it is like obsession of, of like taking things to, and that's, a part of where and where they get to the other side of more integrity, more this, but like it 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 is actually a part of it that they had that. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? It totally makes sense. I do wonder because I don't. They didn't go into the histories, you know, in the book. I don't remember that being part of like the study, you know, like what the the history of the CEOs that performed well that were humble and you know had boundaries and all that kind of stuff, um, emotionally intelligent, basically, and like balanced yeah. in that way. They didn't go into the history of them. But I have thought about exactly what you're describing from the perspective of noticing that people that share messages that I think someone like, you know, like mm-hmm. we would consider wise, if they haven't been through the workaholism phase, th- even if it's the same message, that it's received differently by people that are, are workaholics or attempted to be workaholics. Like, like what you're saying, like I, I, I wonder, cause I, I've, I've noticed that and that's without the context of 
I don't know what the stories are behind. So if someone says I was a workaholic and now I'm not, I just know like that person, if, if it's just absent from the story and it's the same wisdom, it, it doesn't, yeah. I feel like it, has, it feels an, again, yeah. like my, my intuition is that it's another cultural thing where it's like, yes, almost like you're allowed, you're allowed to, if you can prove that you are yes. like one of us <laughs> and you burn out or you like, like, but you have to put in the time. It's a little bit like, I often think of like hazing, like in colleges or something where it's like, you have to be the fresh, you have to go through what we went through and then I'll listen to you, which some of that is just human. And it's like, you know, it's harder to understand someone that's doesn't have the same story as you. You know what I mean? Like it just, it takes a little bit more effort or whatever to understand someone that's, you don't identify with as much. But I think some of that is, is a little bit of the, it's again, I'm just talking about cognitive biases or assumptions, right? Like the assumption that a CEO is like super charismatic and outgoing and fully into his work and kind of a workaholic like actually the ones that perform well like actually aren't it's kind of weird like so a similar way like I think the the connection that you're making of um I think people go through that workaholic phase before they can get to the wisdom I I'm curious I don't know I don't know what the I don't know what the actual data on that is but I have noticed that if that's in the story that workaholics will listen and if it's not in the story workaholics will not listen you know and I think that's interesting I think that's a really that's such a good point because I do think America is full of workaholics and (laughs) it's very obsessed with work. So it makes sense that as a culture, there is such selection bias to the stories that we find interesting. Yeah, Um, exactly. Or like valid, right? Like, like authoritative. Like if you haven't, you haven't been through that, either you don't know or you can't speak to it versus like being on the outside and being like, I don't think this is good. And you're saying it for the same message or the same reasons or the same whatever, but it's like, it just comes with a different, um, yeah, it's respected differently depending on who it's coming from. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I do feel like this is an area that I very limited perspective on. Um, but just from, you know, journeying with my husband. And I would say we're both, we we both have a workaholic tendency. So we have these conversations um, to figure out a better way of being um, and what that looks like. It's hard not to be. It's hard not to be. It's like, yeah, it's, it's hard in, in this culture it's hard not to be I think it's really tricky yeah (laughs) right because I think Hong Kong as much if not more than um America I think if you you know purely look at hours I think Hong Kong could be more egregious than New York and those were the two cities I've lived in the most and so I feel like the Chinese work ethic which is something that is so you know threaded into you know ancient myths and mm-hmm. um, cuz i think you can tell so much from like the myths that a culture tell like oh wow this has been this has been you know encoding us for <laughs> thousands one example of years. that's burned into mm-hmm. my brain one of my first clients julian han do you remember me t- yes. I've told you about yes. him yeah i was helping him write his his memoir super fun he was actually very instrumental in my like path, my career path. <laughs> Should reach it back out to me and tell him that. Um, but I remember yeah. him telling me, uh, it's not a proverb, like, yeah, like a story that he learned as a kid that like kind of guided him. And it was of a person 
who was studying late into the night and kept falling asleep to the point where he stabbed himself in the leg to keep himself awake. And this is something to emulate. And I was like, wow. (laughs) Yeah, I can see how your life was more or less that. And his story included him getting actually cancer and him being like, wow, I think that I maybe shouldn't be doing three full-time jobs at the same time. And maybe (laughs) and he was writing this memoir because he had a son and he was trying to kind of get that balance or figure, figure that out and sort of seeing the consequences of overwork and workaholism basically um but it was interesting like to hear yeah that story is burned in my mind the yes yourself on the leg and him being like this is my inspiration for for life I thought wow that's literally brutal like that is actually violent oh gosh those <laughs> very interesting. the Chinese stories that we had to memorize as like a seven-year-old like the one that is burned which is a different a whole different thing but is of this um this child and you know, with his parents, they are very poor and his parents were very sick and like too, like there were mosquitoes. It's like, I I might be really messing up the story, but this is how I remember it. (laughs) Um, But to protect his parents from getting uh, eaten by mosquitoes, he himself went out naked and like to get bitten by all the mosquitoes. I think he died or something. This is like one of the ancient stories of like, and I mean- that's a huge, huge, huge part of, I would say, traditional Chinese culture is the filial piety piece, which is a whole different thing. But that is, I won't say I looked up to that and I was more like, huh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, what if you in a screen door? <laughs> I feel like there were other ways around this. It feels like some creativity was lacking in this whole situation, which probably for me, even from that age, you know, my dad is English and very English. And there's, Mm. I feel like I grew up with that interplay. It's funny what we were talking about way from the beginning of, um, you know, the helpfulness of like narrowing down things down to one to three concepts or words or keywords. That's always like a helpful exercise and how sometimes it's more helpful to have one. I feel like that I'm English and Chinese. Yeah, like in, in how I grew up, there was always that yeah. um, interplay. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I find because I'm the same. My parents were also different cultures, and so I think that there's. I think when you grow up with like multiple cultures in your own home, there's mm-hmm. more consciousness of culture informing you and freedom mm-hmm. of choice between them. Like I'm going to take yes. this or leave this or. Versus yes. someone that it's one culture and you have to fight, either fight it or accept it. And it's sort yep. of like a very dual, you know, there's there's not much yes. choice within those two things. Often. Right. And I feel like there's a gift of that choice, but then there's this tension you have had from birth that you are merging as something that's not. Not either one. That's in tension with yeah. the two yeah. people you are tr- dying to like be one with <laughs> or, yeah. you know, be safe with. Yeah. Um, and, yep. but that's going into a whole other world. <laughs> <laughs> the tie-in is culture. And I think like American culture, workaholism, because you mentioned like Hong Kong, New York City, <laughs> Chinese culture as the broader culture, American culture, like workaholism or, you know, whatever. You it would thrive. It. Hard that. work yes. ethic. Yeah. It's like, this is not something to look out for. Oh, you should really be balanced in your life. It's yes. like, no, you will be validated, honored, right. praised given money, <laughs> given positions of actual power and large influence and income, if you follow this, I think, I mean, yes. 
it's the opposite of a you know training ground for some for some other ethic to emerge it's like that is that is right. so in the water so i think yeah that's why i say it's hard to not be workaholic i do think my my parents are both very hard my my dad is definitely workaholic but my mom was way more balanced and so i think there was i i did grow up with like hmm like like it wasn't an assumption mm-hmm. that you that you yeah. overwork um and she seemed to uh, enjoy her work too. Like, you know, she had a lot of pleasure in it where I think for my dad, it was more complicated. Um, so I think I, it was helpful to see, like, I did have that difference. I'm like, which one do I want? Like, I definitely would rather be like my mom than like wake up at 5am, go to work 12 hours, go to a work dinner, <laughs> come home exhausted, complain about work, go to sleep, repeat. Like, I'm like, I'm not, I know I'm not doing that, you know? <laughs> so I think it's yeah. interesting what, how one's expectations are shaped, but um, that's so interesting, Bianca, because that makes me think, I don't think either of my parents are workaholics at all. Interesting. And yeah. yet I, from very young, could not stop working. <laughs> very, very Fascinating. Well, yeah. actually, no, that's not, yeah, at some point, maybe actually more in my, my teens, I think it's something. Ooh, something clicked. Anyway, I will dig into that personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I mean... From my understanding of like developmental stages around 12, like teenage is when you start understanding, oh, there's a there's a hierarchy in the world and I got to fit into it. That's why I like yeah. teen clicks and like high school clicks and stuff. So trying to figure out where you fit into the, not just the world as a place, but the world as a hierarchy and kind of, so I think it would make sense that, okay, your parents, like that's not what's being modeled at home, but as a teenager, you're like, mm-hmm what, what works in the world? And you're like this, <laughs> you know, you go for mm-hmm. it. Um, I don't know that as a rough high level would make sense to me. Um, yeah. yeah, super, you know, this is getting into like, cause I'm been so interested with playfulness. Why is playfulness so hard to achieve or like lacking? And mm-hmm. it's cool that you bring up like in the arts, it's kind of valued and, and protected and artists specifically, I think are very good at protecting that. And, but that's like, it's silo in the, the work world in the U S I mean, I think like, what do you have? Like there's government, there's nonprofit, there's corporate, corporates, big business, small business, which is not really corporate at all. It's a whole different thing. And then there's like the arts, you know, it's it's like they have very different cultures, but I don't think playfulness defines any of them, but the arts. And even within the arts, as soon as there's money involved, like I think of like galleries or collectors or, you know, or um, I don't know, big movie produce pro- I don't know what the tone is in those kind of organizations but basically the more money that's involved I think the lower the playfulness goes you know like the more the business people well are kind of, you think slash, that's not well no I, I think it's true but another way I would put it is what I find so depressing about this that potentially about this um one part of the music arts industry is when people try to bottle and then mm. monetize and squeeze like the spark in the other, like people, like someone will come in with a spark and then people will squeeze and squeeze and squeeze and squeeze. And what, an what that does to that person is kill them. Mm. You kill that spark. And I think you then kill that person. And I think many artists have died from being squeezed. Um, and I think that can look like drugs that can look like partying that can look like, like way, like a a level of promiscuity that is so unhealthy and destructive. Like I think it can go though. But to me, 
I think they were in a healthy system where they were held and the spark was honored and grown or just protected and not squeezed, you wouldn't see those kinds of predictable outcomes, right? No. And then the cruelty is that we then go, oh my gosh, look at these Look at them. They're so bad. Oh my, like, like, you know, rehab again. And it's like, "Mm, please look at how they're getting squeezed. I'm not saying they're perfect. Of course. Um, Of course. But gosh, it's such a yucky... Yeah, cycle. I think that happens very often. Totally. That makes me wonder, though, because I know there are, I'm, I'm thinking of stats on, actually, even among entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs and artists and mental health, like, mm-hmm. definitely, like, the highest, right, like, levels of, like, mental health issues in those environments. So people, I think, basically, people doing new things that are risky, right? Basically, like, I'm going to create, mm-hmm. an, I'm creating new work, like, whether that's, like, a business or it's, like, and I'm going to do it, I'm going to take all that risk on myself. Like, I feel like it's it's interesting to me that those, I, I, as someone that has mental health things and is like, I will give up security and predictability, all those things for doing new things, how I interpret that stuff. Because I think of like being squeezed, like you have then, if you're, if people that ha- that are like kind of can, have that spark and kind of fighting for it and like doing stuff in the world, if they're essentially like, like they have something special, but there's also something more vulnerable about them. You know, like, I think that's yeah. interesting because that's even more unethical to like squeeze because it's like yes. you're not being treated like you know I don't know yeah uh, there's something interesting about that that dynamic because I think yeah yeah I don't usually think of, of artists as like um needing help I guess or being you know having challenges but even what you're just saying about which I love these metrics tenon and like what's the metric for joy like enjoyment what's the pain like <laughs> joy and pain metrics or something for any given mm-hmm. like work stream I think it's interesting but it's significant to me like when you experience these two worlds, there's like a small business world, you're doing branding, you're doing design. There's a medium level of satisfaction and a very low pain and struggle. Mm-hmm. And then when you're doing art, there's a high level of satisfaction and a high level of pain. Again, like mm-hmm. just looking at like what kind of person chooses to go, not that I'm not saying, right. but like someone who's willing to risk and to go with that pain and, you know, or feels that they have to or like, I don't know. There's just something interesting. You're, yes. you're reflecting both both of those worlds or both of those choices in the choices that you're like literally actively making right now. And I think it's yeah, it's significant that what you find the most joy in is also the most painful. And I yeah, yeah. It's there's. I'm not making a clear statement about this. I just see these patterns. No, that are very interesting. you're thinking out loud about it, which I have been doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> not the out loud part, but yeah, just chewing on these dynamics and then you know wondering this is something I feel like I've become more and more and more open to and therefore I get the gift of quickly seeing it is where I have false dichotomies Mm. um like what parts of that nine just comes from faulty frameworks and what part of that nine comes from stuff that like that that can actually be not that can can be dismantled with not that like it, it might be easier than I think to dismantle it easier yeah. in some ways harder in terms of the the commitment to yes yes dismantling but in some ways easier in that like no one's like there's no gun pointing in my life and yet it feels like it um, mm-hmm. and how do you tease those out how do you tease those where are the false dichotomies how much control do you have over it mentally you know in your life. I think one way 
I, I don't re- exactly remember where this comes from, but there's this idea that, you know, if you ever feel like there are only two options, like I have to either make mm. art or like be miserable or something like that. Or like I either have to get to 10,000 followers or like this is I'm never going to get the speaking engagements. And so I have to or like I have to um, do this so that I can publish a book like whenever we've built something up like I have like even right now but I I do think it's a little bit different but it's possible where when I ask the question I have to either do design like I have to either make money or do music I have to do either design or this if ever it's set up to just two options and they both feel I think that's I think that question might be set up wrong then Mm. I, I often think almost always think, no, nah, I think there's more options here. I That's really like think there is. Test. Yeah. When I you hear yourself so. say it's either this or this and has that like intense. Yeah, I'm like so miserable energy. because I'm like that, that caught between a rock and a hard place thing, which I feel like I have felt a lot, which I think now I'm like, oh, it probably has some trauma, you know, history stuff. But that kind of like oh, the whole body tensing up the like tight chest, the like sick in your stomach because you're yeah. never going to be happy because you either have to do this or do this. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think so. Um, but then I also, at the same time, that's not to be mistaken with that. Sometimes I do think you have to make a choice, but I, sure. I think it, it can feel different. Like right now, I am coming to, you know what? I think if I want to create more, make more music this year, if I want to start having the opportunities in the music world that I want to have, I think I have to spend less hours on design. Like that's just (laughs) reality. I cannot, you know, this past month in, I'm a mother of two and they're young. And this past 30 days, I had four days of regular programming because there was a snowstorm here. There was, school was canceled for six and a half days. And, you know, beginning of the year, there was no school and all kinds of things, sicknesses. So I had four half days. And because (laughs) I have clients, it all went to doing client work because that is where I make commitments. And then so now I have this reflection of, hey, if I set up that right now, number one goes to my kids. If school is canceled, if they're sick, everything will get dropped because they are my number one. Uh, right now because they are helpless. They need me. And I decided to have them. And so they get <laughs> they get the top. They get my top layer. I want music to be my next layer. And I've wanted that for a long time, but I keep making design and branding and small business work my second layer because it makes me feel like I have value. It feels safe. It feels and and part, it's it's not even not not a lot of these feelings aren't bad things. I feel like I make a difference. Like I clients send me messages that no listener of mine has ever sent me. You know, <laughs> I, like I really They're get fans. Like, a different kind of fan. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten profanity laced emails thanking me for like work I've done of like I didn't think this was possible, and like you have you know this is like effing this. And I'm like wow. I've never gotten that from a, um, but I, I just have this gut strong feeling and I've had it over years that, oh, I want to put music second. Mm. Um, and so I feel like 
I am needing to make some choices. Anyway, that's just to say they can see they they can feel similar, but that mm. to me is a very different type of decision making than like, oh my gosh, I will never be a successful mission uh, like this unless I do this or blah blah blah. Like that, and and I think I can tell the difference by ha- my body how it's reacting to that question. If it mm. if I feel choked, if I feel claustrophobic, if I get dark and despairy, it's. It's a false dichotomy that mm. I sometimes can fix on my own, but sometimes need to talk to a few people and be like, oh, there's so many more options here. Totally. Totally. Black and white thinking is like a, a yeah. symptom of traumatized. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's basically like, oh, I'm noticing that I'm sort of acting like someone who's traumatized and like in a lot of stress. <laughs> okay. This might not be right. The, I might not be able to fight my way out of this thought cage by like staying in this space. I don't know, that's kind of how I think of it. Like, no, I think checking in with your body because what you're describing of, hmm, I'm reflecting, you know, calmly on yes. my choices on the things that are possible for me. And now I'm going to make a wise choice given the resources that I actually have is a very different feeling then. And it's actually an empowering feeling, I think, or at least when I experience yes. that, I'm like, okay, like, yeah, like, you know, I'm going to test this or I'm going to choose this versus like, I have no power. Like, like there's no power. Like I, I have yes. to do one of two bad things and I don't want to do either of them and I have no power to get out of this. And that's the, the, the feeling of sort of empowerment or like uh, powerlessness, I think is super different. Yeah. Those. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's taken me, you know, I could look at a list and be like, you know, you're black and white thinking, but I feel like it's actually been only recent for me that I can tell when that's I'm real. doing black and white. Yeah. Thinking, Tell from the which, inside, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Tell while Versus, it's <laughs> That's a pretty big skill. Well, not usually like a while into it. Like, Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Got me again. Darn it. <laughs> wasted two days on that question. Anyway. I've wasted years on questions like <laughs> <laughs> No, I know. Two oh, days yeah. is <laughs> some of the much smaller questions. <laughs> No, I, this is, that's a super helpful, I think yeah, what I'm going to take away from this as far as like actual tools is that like, I've never put it so clearly, like, yeah, like there's like when I'm feeling like there's only these two choices, I'm, I'm literally thinking of something that happened this morning that I have that thought about. So I'm like, going to that's going to stick with me. And then this idea of like a metric for um, like how much joy versus pain something can give you hmm. and then looking at the difference and then the amount, cause I, you know, yeah. <laughs> Do you want the difference of one, but it has a lot of both? Or do you want, I think I can also filter a lot of my decisions or thinking through making choices like that, but not having it so clear. So I'm, I'm going to use those two like mental models as tools from now on. You know, I'll take those as. Take them girl. Take them, them, (laughs) put them in my tool belt, sticking them out away. Um, If you will indulge me, there are two things that I, that I had planned to like do that I think would, I want to see if they're fun. I just want to see if they're yes. fun. And it's the, the word association yep. and the um, tell your bio or your like pitch in the worst possible way, which is going to be great for you because you're not trying to look for more small business work. So who cares? No. Like, you have absolutely no, this would be like, your artist is like, probably like, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> um, so I want to do those two things as an experiment really before we officially yes. end. Um, so let's, do you mind starting with word association? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, so I have 10 words here. Some of them do with business. Okay. So I just want to hear first thing comes to mind. Okay. Junk. Food. Airplane. Masks. Money. 
Green. Ketchup. Red. <laughs> <laughs> Rabbit. Food. <laughs> Vegetable. Crispy. Solopreneur. Funky. Drama. Queen. Candy. Land. Business. Books. That's hilarious. A lot of a lot of uh, colors in there. Like <laughs> psychoanalyze me now, Bianca. <laughs> yeah, this is actually just a ploy. What's my Myers Briggs? Myers Briggs, <laughs> girl. You know I'm, I'm all over that already. <laughs> candy. I also thought Candyland. I actually almost wrote Candyland, and then so that's funny. Um, <laughs> this has been super fascinating and helpful, Mara. I really appreciate you showing up to a totally new chat. You don't even know where this is going. I don't even know where this is going to go. So it's a risk. I don't need to together. know, Bianca. Oh, yeah, I love. That, that was just a great that conversation. My girl. My girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like to hear. <laughs> no, thank you so much for sharing about where you're at right now. I feel like all the things that you're talking about are. It's a different energy when someone's in the middle of it. You know, like you're not. Yes. This is not historical. You are like I am actively asking this question this morning. And yes, thank you for opening up about that. I really appreciate it. Of course. It. Thank you for asking me questions. <laughs> you are so welcome. Let's do this again. I really like, Yeah. This is like <laughs> round of this I would love to do. <laughs> Done. So, yeah, I'll have you back. All righty. Mm-hmm.